0: I'm Michael Laurie and you're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup.
1: Hello and welcome to the Ulster Rugby Roundup's World Cup special brought to you in association with Remus Uomo, Victoria Square Belfast and Stockus Nationwide. The World Cup is long since over for our guys, and so the Ulster Rugby Roundup is back, and it's more familiar guys with our focus firmly fixed on provincial matters. Joining me, Gareth Hunt, Kingspan sitting this afternoon, our Adam McKenna.
2: Good to see you guys. And Michael Satter. Hello, Willie.
1: Welcome back, everybody, from uh, World Cup duty. Not that we, any of us were fortunate, to, fortunate enough to be officially on World Cup duty, but on the agenda today, then, we have Ulster's win over Cardiff Blues, and we look ahead to this Friday's game against Zebra. Uh, discussing Ulster squad and what little, uh, nothing we know about it. Um, <laughs> so we'll have <laughs> John Bradley, the, the most informed
2: podcast <laughs> in Northern Ireland. Start <laughs> saying we know nothing. <laughs> not our fault. Gotta say it. this feels <laughs> like a proper Ulster <laughs> rugby roundup again.
1: <laughs> we'll we'll get a little chat with uh, John and Bradley then later on as he gives a little uh, check-in from the World Cup. I think he's looking forward to getting over this stage. So Ulster then a big Cardiff 14 they didn't get the bonus point. I was chatting to you last week, Adam, and I had said that if Ulster didn't get a bonus point, it would be a failure. After watching the match, was that was that overly harsh for myself, or is that fair enough? Uh, I
2: I think you've got to take this game in different sections. The first twenty minutes, Ulster were very good. I don't think you can you can look past that. Sean Reedy made the most of that charge down on Jared Evans to get the first try. And then for the second try, I thought they had a really good phase of offensive play. And then after the 20-minute mark, they just stopped playing. Yeah. Cardiff took over in terms of possession, in terms of territory. And Ulster were very much the second best team for the vast majority of this game. You look at the fact they had 43% possession on the game as a whole. territory on the game as a whole and they ended up winning and they ended up denying Cardiff a bonus point like that's that says a lot about how good their first 20 minutes was Mm -hmm. but for Ulster there's so many questions over how this team performs across an 80 minute uh, an 80 minute game because we've seen it already in both the Cheetahs and the Kings game in the Cheetahs they gave a good final 20 minutes the Kings they put in a phenomenal first half did all they needed to do in the first half and then stop playing in the second half. And here, it seemed like they got two tries to the good inside the first 20 minutes, and decided almost that the game was good. Like, the, they were going to get the bonus point, and all they had to do was sort of coast home for the mm. final 60 minutes. And it turned out not to be that way at all. If Cardiff had any kind of semblance of being able to hold on to the ball, being able to put together a few phases in attack, they could have actually stolen the result here very easily. And the mm. result... Kind of makes you forget about that because it looks like Ulster won it comfortably enough. You know, they were beyond a score. If Cardiff had managed to get one of their malls over the line, if their handling had been a bit better, Ulster were in serious difficulties here because they were playing off the back foot for the majority of the game. I think there's a lot of problems that the actual scoreline masks at the end of the day.
1: Michael, what happened after the first 17 minutes that were Well, I hate
3: that when somebody uses the stats I was going to use. There were identifiable moments towards the end of the first half when little things started to Mm -hmm. go wrong. Small things at first. They were, as Adam Riley points out, in complete control of the game, started to make errors. And those mistakes mounted and continued to mount. Then they had Luke, Marshall, yellow carded towards the end. And though they survived... I suppose the billing—it wasn't too bad. I think it was something like seven three, which isn't that bad because mm-hmm. you nearly, nearly always concede. Mm-hmm. They, they never, ever got back in the game. And Dan McFarlane said, was trying very much not to say terribly much about it, but mm-hmm. it, every so often little nuggets would come out, and he basically said he thought they tried to play a bit too much, if, if you like, what they were trying to do was attack maybe too much and and they lost a bit of shape and structure. For instance, um, I think one of the last things they did that was of any semblance of sort of quality and attack, Billy Burns put a cross kick in to, this is in the first half, Mm -hmm. to Craig Gilroy who caught it and then had overlapping him on the outside Will Addison, he passed Will Addison, Will Addison dropped it. Later on in the second half, Will Addison did get the ball, I remember. They hadn't had the ball for ages and he decided to counter from deep Which he did. He showed wonderful footwork. But then something happened. We couldn't quite see. Went to the breakdown. Maybe he had no support. Cardiff turned him over. And they actually got their second try off that. And again, did he need to be attacking and trying to play like that? I know he was trying to ignite Ulster, but it seemed to Mm -hmm. me that any time in the second half they tried to do something, Mm -hmm. they weren't able to deliver the full package and they would make an error. They completely lost their shape, which we've already seen them do. They play now in fits and starts, and -hmm. they haven't, as yet being able really to put in an entirely consistent performance. Mm. When they go down, they really do go down and they're very vulnerable. A better team than Cardiff Blues, and Cardiff Blues are not a great team, mm. they've lost now three out of four, would punish them more.
2: Very good point you brought up there, Michael. They play in fits and starts. You look at those periods where Ulster seem very happy just to soak up a lot of pressure. Um, and we saw, we saw that against the Kings. Whenever they soak up a lot of pressure... They are quite good defensively. They were actually quite good. You look at Cardiff's two tries. One came off turnover ball, which I'm going to be honest, I find quite ironic. Ulster gave up only two turnovers in the entire game at mm. Rocks, and one of them led to a try, mm. and the other one I am I'm still thinking it's a forward pass. So the two, the two tries. You can sort of look at them in that way. But Ulster are a team who this season seem very happy to soak up a lot of pressure. They're happy just to make their tackles, be very defensively solid. And we saw that even though the discipline was quite bad. They kept the mall out every time it threatened. They were keeping Cardiff out for long periods. But then the problem is there's nothing coming back the other way. One of Ulster's problems this season is once they get a lead, they just seem happy to play on the back foot. There doesn't seem to be any real urgency to go up the other end and try and get the points ticking over. I mean, it, it's all well and good soaking up pressure. I, I don't have a problem with that, and Ulster seem to be doing it mm. quite well. It's just they've got to start firing some shots going the other way. Ian Frizzell, in our questions, points out
1: that there is a heavy reliance on Katsia to create the go-forward ball. Is that an issue for you, just how reliant they are on, on him? But well, I suppose that's nothing new.
3: No, nothing new. And I think that he is the, the, the real ball-carrying option. Stuart McCluskey is another one, and they rely very heavily on both those players. And when they don't have one of them, they seem to do lean very heavily mm-hmm. on Marcel's uh, shoulders. And uh, he can deliver, but it's not really uh, enough, I suppose, yeah. on his own.
2: I did. I did... Tweet this out. Katsia made 19 carries for 72 meters yeah. on Friday night, and the rest of Ulster's 12 forwards combined made 36 carries for mm. f- uh, for 54 meters. So what's that's
3: that, about three meters a time, though no, he's not making lots of grounds. No, he's like he's, he's Again, not making a huge amounts of grounds. The but yeah. The, yeah.
2: but the fact is, he's sucking in defenders. He's causing them to think. He's taking the ball at pace, but it raises so many questions. Mm. You know, do Ulster? either over rely on him to carry or do they not have faith in their other ball carriers? Because mm-hmm. he is making more than half the carries of the entire rest of Ulster's mm-hmm. pack. Is that but a case it, of... Is
1: that not natural whenever you have somebody of his undoubted talent who is, by far and away, the best? Yes, but
3: defensively, it's quite predictable because you can yeah. set for that and you kind of know that they're going to go through him. Mm-hmm. So, he also
2: uh, made the most tackles in the pack run. over the 80 minutes yeah. as well. You know, the, the work rate on both no sides of the not. ball no is amazing. He he won a couple turnovers too. If you have Kutsia doing so much of the grunt work, where's everybody else's value in this team? Sean Reid, coming up with a lot of tackles, a lot of carries as well. But if you look beyond that, I think outside of those two, the, the four that carried most... Outside of uh, Sean Reedy and Marcel Kutsia, was Kieran Treadwell with seven. They have Alan O'Connor and Tom O'Toole both had four. We have a lot of focus then on the last 63 minutes. Perhaps
1: perhaps that's fairly understandable, but let's talk about those first 17 minutes then when Ulster were very good. If they can put that together then a little bit more often. Like the first try. Sean Reedy, it was
3: yep. superb work from Sean. Uh, Sean Reedy mm. set up Luke Marshall, yeah. Mm. It was it was a nice try, obviously it was a card of mistake, but they, they took the opportunity, and, uh, you know, that, that, that was grand. And then we got uh, the next one, Billy Burns, which was a really, really good, and well, in fact, probably the only move that they worked like that in the entire match, mm. where they, they, they got lots of momentum, uh, a multi-phase attack, and then he... Spotted. Um, I think it was probably Kutsia who'd made the carry about one ruck before. It probably was, probably was. <laughs> who'd taken yeah, out it, that it extra it defender or two, which had allowed I think the the, the Blues' defence to be slightly checking, mm. which gave Billy Burns the show and go yeah. gap, and he was through it mm-hmm. like. And you just thought, well, hey, here we go. <laughs> right, quickly get the notebook out. We're going to get lots and lots of scribblings here. But oh, yeah. uh, no, a bit like watching Wales South Africa. It was kind of like, oh man, <laughs> you know, it was it was applaud. Uh, Yeah, yeah. up to
2: that, really. Surprised to see Billy Burns named as, as captain? This was something I asked about afterwards because personally I hadn't seen him as a captain and I was actually quite interested to know where he'd come from. And Dan said... He has a lot of respect from his peers, mm-hmm. he's part of that leadership group within the team. I don't know exactly how many people they've gotten that leadership group, but obviously there were teething problems last year, and he's admitted that himself, about how he didn't live up to the standards that he, he thought he would, and he, he had a tough time because he came in late to the squad. I know a lot of people want to see Michael Larry playing 10 because he's obviously a very, very exciting talent, but... John Cooney and Billy Burns seem to be developing that little bit of a rapport that you like to see from a mm-hmm. halfback duo going forward. And I think there's a lot of merit to keep going with it right yeah, now yeah. because it seems to be clicking pretty well for Ulster. Well, let's talk about the other half of that partnership then, who
1: absolutely does not divide fans' opinion whatsoever. John Cooney, possibly, probably the most loved man at Ulster Rugby. What, what is there left to say about him? Another great performance on Friday
2: night.
3: Well, yeah, yeah. It was right. I mean, I, he got man of the match, but I'm not sure why. I really don't know why he got man of the match. I don't know why Marcel could say it yeah. in man of the match for his work rate alone. I, I think it was one of those catches, it was very hard to pick any man of the match. Mm. sure he slotted his penalties, but you'd expect him to do that. But other than that, you know, um, I don't know why he was man of the match. His,
2: his box kicking, and again, I would agree with you... Um, I, I, I'll be honest, in my uh, in my ratings at the weekend, I had Cooney as my man of the match, but looking back on the stats and then going back and watching the game, it was it was absolutely Marcel, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm not sure why I didn't know that at the time either. Cooney's box kicking was exceptional. Mm-hmm. He always gave the runners a chance to contest it. I, I thought Cooney, with his kicks, always gave Ulster a chance to at least put the... The contester under pressure whenever the box kick went up.
3: You know, there were errors. I mean, he wasn't able to deal with the ball that they put him behind. which led to Cardiff's second try. Now, it was a difficult night for handling any ball. That's probably one of the reasons why so much ball was dropped. He's not always played at his best. He didn't have a good game to cheat cheaters, but then who did? But, you know, they needed him to knock yeah. those penalties over at that time just to give that little bit of daylight. Donal is back with his weekly question.
1: He asks, what's going on with Jack McGrath? We all know what a top quality operator he is but he seems to be struggling even at
2: set piece which was such a reliable aspect of his game. One of the things that I've noticed about Ulster this season is that they're not using the props to carry that much. And I think that's something that happened last season as well. Um, in the first two games that Jack McGraw's played he's carried five times in both so he's not a guy who they're turning to on a regular basis to make meters in a game so I, I think to criticize his, uh, his ball carrying based on a very limited sample is a bit premature. I think a lot of people have expected him to come in and be this standout guy. They're expecting him to be putting in monstrous carries every time he gets the ball. They're expecting him to be driving guys off the ball at the scrum. And winning penalties at every scrum. McGrath lost his place at Leinster for a reason. You know because Cian Healy was in better form. And then he lost his place below uh, Kane Healy for a reason because he found himself out of form sometimes you just got to give guys time to find their form again for him there's just a, a bit of time, one of the things I will point out is defensively he's been fantastic,
3: his true value will be seen obviously as the season unfolds and particularly when we get to European situations which we are approaching
1: Yeah, let's hear a little bit from the official man of the match from Friday night, John Cooney
0: yeah, I think, like you said, in the first 16 to 20 minutes, I thought we played really well and I thought we managed the game well and then come the end of the first half, a few different things with Luke's yellow card and stuff, I think we kind of stuck to the game plan a little bit too much and trying to play with 14 men, we just wanted to control the game and we probably stuck to that a little bit too much like we did against Southern Kings and kind of went into our shell a little bit, but some of the games, fastest went really well, I thought Lou Ludic was brilliant in some of the kick chases and yeah, some of the stuff we played was very good in the first half, so... It's, it's probably a positive that we've a lot to work on and for this week now we can kind of enforce those different things. You're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup's World Cup Special. Brought to you in association with Remus Ewell, Victoria Square Belfast and Stockers Nationwide.
1: So on to Zebra on Friday night. Let's discuss the, the Ulster squad and what we know. We'll pick up with what you mentioned, Marty Moore. Any chance on the for right really
3: now? I don't think so, but right. we don't know. We haven't really been told. <laughs> he gave an on pitch interview. Gosh, we have to rely on this now. On pitch <laughs> interviews at half time. I believe that he was certainly seen to be limping. Okay. So one would, and I, I don't know what he said, but I don't think he indicated that he would be back this weekend okay. either.
1: So we know so little because Ulster's injury updates are. are thin on the ground with actual information shall we say last weeks of course didn't include the likes of Stuart McCroskey who did not play the match so it's hard to say too much but what is there anything we can discuss injury wise from from Friday night or potential of returning players
2: um well James Hume put up a post on Instagram obviously he came off in the third minute against Cardiff and was seen on crutches after the game um where he seemed to insinuate that he's going to go through a period of recovery and that he was hoping it, it won't be as long as as maybe feared. So certainly he's, he's going to be out this week at least, and I would imagine it's going to be a bit longer than that as well. Um, so on, on the injury front, that's maybe all we can sort of glean right now but you would like to hope that rob herring would be back this mm-hmm. week um i was chatting to him on friday night he was just uh hanging around before the game and he said that he could have played on friday night he felt he was okay and ulster wanted him to play but the IRFU said no you're, you're just back from japan which yeah, is completely which is fair, understandable yeah. um okay. And you would think Jordy Murphy, provided he's fit, we're not hundred mm. percent sure on that. But you would think if he's fit, he's in the same boat. Given he didn't play uh, that much during the World Cup, so you would imagine they'd be back for this week. Um, Murphy again, provided he's fit. Mm. So that's that's probably the best squad update we can give you. And oh, what about what do we know anything about uh, Stuart
1: McCloskey? He's he such an important player. Last year, he limped year, off
3: against the Kings.
1: <laughs> that's the that that's, that's, the that's mm-hmm. all she wrote mm-hmm. yeah Same. uh yeah we might have a couple of Ireland Ireland guys back this weekend
3: the, their options aren't that great because you know if you re- I mean Sean Reid he's had
2: quite a big workload I suppose as well mm-hmm. so Maddie, Maddie Ray's played yeah, every, game every game and there's game. only missed 10 minutes that's because right of, because of a. that's right oh I've
1: only missed 10 minutes all season. yep that's I'm going.
3: So, so you see they've all, yeah, they're, all a, doing the minutes. they're all doing them so mm. uh, I'm sure if there was such a thing unless they decide that they just don't want them to go to Thunder Park I, I really mm. don't know what, mm. what they're going to do Did there, but there'll certainly be some
2: sort of significant squad rotation over the next two weeks you, you would you imagine so, yeah. so he- heading into Europe Ulster do tend to have a bit of Squad rotation... Zebra, you mentioned it earlier. They lost 3-0. You said earlier that you were going to check out what exactly was the situation that you get a chance to. It just seemed to be a game where <laughs> the two sides kind of grind each other down and never amounted to anything more than one penalty. I mean you've got to remember that some sort of inquiry at Leinster like in their first three games they ever conceded at least 50 points in all three games yeah. and then they've can score three they points they
3: had the international yeah. like six or seven oh, of them but still been. it's
2: Leinster Like at the same time you know Leinster are short. Sure short so many guys due yeah. to international commitments zebra get their guys back at home too at home leinster (laughs) named quite a young side um even even by their standards Mm. so zebra are a proud side at home they don't like Mm. to be beaten at home and imagine how boring it must have been to be there like i remember there was a (laughs) 6-6 draw here between ulster and leinster and that was played in biblical reign like I, i remember that and I was bored watching that. That's 12 times so, as exe- or four times as mm. exciting as this game.
3: Yeah. I, I, I'm not sure it was all that weather affected, really, yeah. this game. Uh, it just was, oh, you have to hope it doesn't happen again. Because if you <laughs> imagine trying to write 850 words or whatever <laughs> <laughs> about a three I can imagine
1: being on the phone to you after you have the event. I expected Austria to get a bonus point last week. You definitely expect them to get a
3: bonus point well, this week. <laughs> they, they, they have to. Um, especially as we got
1: last weekend. Exactly. I mean to only get points from these two games would not be It's whenever they're kicking
2: to the corner from right in front of the post in the first minute that you know they might be going for the bonus <laughs> point. That's, yeah. that's how you tell. Um So look like predictions, how so many many points if you were putting a
1: prediction on, many points would you favor Ulster to win by?
3: Oh, I don't know, and I could you? say how many points, but I would expect them to get the five points. Uh, I really would. Yeah. I, I couldn't say how many points they're going to get. Yeah. It's not like football, we can go, oh yeah, 2 1, you can do just, that. Just for fun. You know, It's not really <laughs> fun, but you can just dream up, oh, 15, 10, 20, whatever, five, <laughs> whatever. But I do, I do think that they will do it. Um, I think if they don't do it, and we really do have a very serious yeah. problem with their yeah, consistency yeah. going forward, I think that they will have the potential and ability and power to overcome any issues that they might have to win this game. Mm-hmm. I don't know if Adam agrees with me, or not, but it'd be hard to say anything different, I suppose, wouldn't it?
2: If Dan McFarland has two things on his checklist <clears throat> for this week, first one will be at least four tries, mm-hmm. emphasis on at least, and 80-minute performance. And if, yeah. if one of those boxes is not checked off come the final whistle on Friday night, I think they will probably have to be an inquest into what is going on here. 29-10 that's what I think they're going to win 29-10 out there so specific also yeah. 29 okay. doesn't give them a lot of wiggle room for getting four tries yeah like, well you see they're going to get the four tries convert three of them and score a okay. penalty
3: and, uh, that'd be right wouldn't it How accurate have you been with these predictions before? I've never
1: made one before. It's it's either going to be 100% or 0% after (laughs) this. (laughs) All-Ireland League is three games old. Have a little look at the tables. there. were Hinch obviously. got up to Division 1A last season. And things aren't really uh, going that great for them. They're getting a bit tight, which I suppose is to to be expected. Three points from their opening three games. Who Who have they got this weekend?
3: They're at Gary Owen. Hinch are late. They knew it would be tricky. Yeah. They, they, they knew it would be tricky up in 1A. The final. But this is a vitally important game for them. It's away, which is very, very tricky for them. They didn't win at home last time. Uh, Gary owner 8th and Hinch are bottom on 10th. Um, only three points separating the two of them.
2: I think Hinch will have hoped that this game came last weekend because mm. after the hurt of losing so late to UCD, they were ahead for so long and then... UCD scored, I, th- I think it was two or three minutes left right. to win it. So they would really have wanted a, a bounce back the week after. So in 1B, then, Abrams oh, has just got a point. A yes. point in three games?
1: Yeah. What's going on?
3: Things just haven't been going well for them at mm. all. I mean, that uh, game at Malone really worked out quite really quite badly for them. That was a real high pressure Ulster derby because neither side had set the legal light. You've got Malone, who obviously won there at Nace. Which is interesting, because Nacer 8th and Loner 7th, so it's mm-hmm. yeah, interesting. And then you've got Armagh, who are, I think, at Navan, And Armagh are 5th, and, and mm-hmm. Navan are down in ninth. But, um, yeah, that's where they are, that's 1B. But Ar- Armagh can actually uh, really do uh, Banbridge a favour, because Navan have only the one point as well, uh-huh. with down with Banbridge. So, yeah, uh, don't want the side, a side getting away from you in any way, no matter what happens. So
1: what have we got in the, the lower divisions?
3: Bellemina, who play Bohemians Queen's University who are top of the league mm-hmm. and uh-huh. are going well are playing Cashel who are sixth I saw this game last year at the dub and basically Cashel didn't play any rugby but won the game because the conditions were so bad and they just ground it down and Rainey who are coming up in third play Dolphin who are down in tenth Rainey are at home so you'd expect Rainey to yeah none of them and probably maybe even get a five pointer mm. so that, Rennie and Queen's are going well which is an yeah. unusual thing in the other league that <laughs> all clubs are actually going quite yeah. well Rennie really have bounced
2: back really well from losing their first game of the season yeah. that's that's one of the big things that you like to see with the big bounce backs we know Queen's have been doing really well so far uh, that's pretty much us for this week um, just before we go who's going to win the World Cup
3: um, I think it's going to be England yeah
2: mm-hmm. you know I was I would have 100% agreed only, I saw a very good piece this morning outlining how some teams play their semi-final as if it's the final. In, in that regard, I, I could maybe see South Africa sneaking it, especially if they've got Cheslin Colby
1: back. That's pretty much us for the Ulster chat, although we do have, well hopefully, I'm going to be chatting to Jonathan Bradley on the phone very soon. So, uh, here's a little bit with
0: Jonathan
2: the World Cup.
0: You're listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup's World Cup Special. Brought to you in association with Rimasu, Victoria Square Belfast, and Stockist Nationwide.
1: The Rugby World Cup is into its final week, and now able to taste the foul Calling him back to Ulster is Jonathan Bradley. Hello, Jonathan. Hi guys. sir? Not too bad at all. How are things? Say uh, over in Japan, you're you're on the the final stretch now. Yep. This
0: time, this time next week, I shall be uh, back in Belfast. Um, Japan's doing its best to prepare me for it because it is absolutely tipping it down um, <laughs> today. Um, I've been reliably informed that it is uh, twelve degrees warmer here than it is at home now, so maybe they're uh, mm. maybe not as best prepared as I could be.
1: No, probably not. Yes, it's absolutely freezing. Um, before we get on to the rugby the topic, that is closer to my heart. Tiger Woods, you're in the land of the tiger. Just what? Just very quickly. This is more for me than our listeners, I suppose, but I'm sure they'll enjoy it. <laughs> just how I was? Always a good way to start a podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I, I was. Uh, it's just part of our preamble as to how you're getting on in Japan, you know. How I was uh, Tiger Woods' victory greeted over there?
0: Um, as you would expect, Tiger. I think as we all know, was hugely, hugely popular in Asia. I think over the course of whatever it's been seven weeks we've talked a fair amount about other sports we maybe haven't mentioned the popularity of golf but golf is another one of those sports that i've been told you know uh sumo football golf baseball are all the sports that are more popular than rugby over here is really the fifth sport so obviously it was um i Hugely historic thing to have the Zozo Championship, the first PGA event. It's been a big, big week for sport over here. Obviously, the uh, the Nippon Series, which is their version of the World Series, finished up um, this week as well, mm-hmm. split between Tokyo and Fukuoka. Yeah. So the Fukuoka Hawks won that as well. So okay. there's not a lot going on. Aside from the rugby, obviously with Japan going out and from our own perspective, Ireland going out. Um it's no bad thing because the tournament's probably lost some of that midweek momentum. It's kind of yeah. it's become, as it so often does, as it did the last time when it was in England, sort of become a weekend tournament now. So, yeah. um most yeah, the Japanese sports fans are, good to, are happy to have the things to fill in the gaps, as it
1: were. Yeah, OK. So, getting on to the rugby, our listeners will be glad to hear. Yeah we started off obviously with that England performance on Saturday morning the beat New Zealand 19-7 really it was just watching it on TV it just seemed astounding like right from the first whistle England were straight out straight at them what was it like what was it like being there watching that England performance
0: well I would go even further back to the kickoff. I think from the moment um, they formed that sort of V yeah. to face off against the Haka and you had uh, Joe Marler wandering into new zealand's territory and being whistled back by nigel owens and it wasn't something that we saw in the stadium but um afterwards you know seeing the footage on tv of owen farrell sort of smirking at the hacker and then yeah. talking to aaron smith in the mix zone afterwards he'd been saying that um you know farrell had been winking at him throughout the, throughout the hackers so you had that you know people had their own views on the hacker personally I think it's really important to maintain its position in the game because I remember going to see the All Blacks for the first time and part of the excitement is getting to yeah. see the Haka. But I also think the notion that, you know, your response to it is so sort of regulated is a nonsense. Yeah. I completely disagree with the idea that England should be fine, but um, that, I think, was, was great theatre. It was real sort of pantomime stuff, but it, it really set the tone for an England performance and an England start that was very similar to what we saw back in Dublin you know with that quick um, Manny Tulagi try just like they kicked off the Six Nations and they went from there because they're such an impressive um, team when their tails are up uh, just because of the physicality they bring because they set the tone early and then they have so many sort of little moments um, with some of the tackles driving big physical All Blacks back behind the game line, that they just, they maintain that tempo in a way that other teams can't really. You know, you yeah. even look at the All Blacks, and what we all know about the All Blacks is they're so ruthless and so clinical mm-hmm. um, that they can turn a game in five minutes. Um, you know, we saw that against South Africa and Yokohama, But this thing, performance was 80 minutes. It was wire to wire. Like um, Their tempo didn't drop its genuinely one of the most impressive if not the most impressive test performance that I've seen given the mm. stage that it was on and um, given the opposition as well so just a hugely hugely memorable occasion and it's not overstating to say that it was a performance for the ages, it really really was
1: yeah, you singled out <clears throat> in your little f- five things piece over the weekend you singled out Mar Otoje as being particularly influential
0: Yeah, like obviously with Ulster having played Saracens um, so often, you know we've seen Etoge a lot over the years in person, and then with him obviously playing for England for such a young age as well, we've seen him a lot in person. And he used to play games where I would have said he would have had one of those match-turning moments a game, every game, Mm -hmm. like you can almost make the comparison to say Peter Romani at his peak where he, he sort of has those what Jewish Schmitz has referred to as big moments and he produces one of them it's OJ in that game especially but in general throughout this World Cup is actually at a stage now where he'll produce two or three of those moments a game yeah. um, again it's not overstating it to say that his is one of the great individual performances at the World Cup
1: mm-hmm. yeah so, I noticed uh, Eddie Jones's words, I think it was uh, something you pointed out as well, And he said that they'd targeted this game for the last two and a half years or something, I think he said. What was yeah. there to sort of take from that in terms of England's preparation for the World Cup, maybe in comparison to Ireland's, is there anything Ireland can, can learn from that or... Because Ireland did say as well that they had been targeting the World Cup for so long, and but more in a negative way. What was the difference?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a really good point. It's a really good question, and I think when you look at the way this England team has come about, and I'm not saying that um, Ireland should be throwing in the likes of Scott Penny or whoever into the Six Nations, mm-hmm. but like if you go back two years to that tour to Argentina that they had in uh, 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, it was obviously like sort of 9 o'clock in the evening kickoffs, and most people have been up early from the Lions. So it wasn't a tour that garnered a huge amount of attention. Mm-hmm. So you look at that now, and Curry and Underhill are 21 and 23. They're two of England's most important players. Yeah. They made their debut on that tour two years ago when they were 19 and 21 yeah so you look at how people view world cups in four year cycles well at the last world cup Tom Curry was in school Mm -hmm. at the last world cup Sam Underhill was a university student playing for Bridge End you know (laughs) so I think there's that willingness two and a half years out to say basically We're going to try and build a team for the World Cup. I don't know if Ireland have ever done that. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Obviously, 80% of Ireland's revenue is, sorry, 80% of the RFU's revenue is derived from the Six Nations. So Ireland probably aren't in the same position where they can say, we're going to take the foot off the pedal a bit in the Six Nations. But you look at what Eddie Jones did, right? um so for the first block of his time in charge he said the players aren't fit enough so we're going to work on our fitness mm-hmm. then what he tried to implement was the defense but then you even look at you know john mitchell the defense coach he's only been there for a year you know um, and then in the six nations what we saw was them saying now we're going to work on our attack so it was really like a slow build of putting all these blocks in place yeah. and understanding that they weren't going to be the complete England team that Eddie Jones wanted until now. Mm-hmm. Jones has said for a long time judge me on the World Cup not on the Six Nations they should have won um, they should have won the last Six Nations um, from the starting position they were having won in Dublin
3: mm-hmm.
0: but we have won a Grand Slam Jones' attitude then was still judging on the World Cup. You know, he's had that quote about essentially 30 months of planning to play the All Blacks. Yeah. And it's probably more, you know, you, you talk about what's the difference between Ireland saying that they allowed the World Cup to consume themselves. Mm-hmm. I think it's big picture thinking, but it's block by block, big picture thinking. Yeah. Whereas I think Ireland didn't evolve. Block by block, it was a case of they got to a point in 2018 where they thought they were good enough to get to a World Cup semi-final, and by 2019, a lot of things had changed in terms of how the other teams had built.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: But I think it's it's difficult. It's difficult to say that Ireland could do what England have done. I think it's difficult to put a vast amount of stock into it as a blueprint for Mm -hmm. a World Cup because you look at the way the various teams have come about. Like Wales obviously had great continuity and still had a better World Cup than Ireland. South Africa had no continuity and have reached a World Cup final. New Zealand completely overhauled their um, team essentially six months out from the World Cup and were still um, noticeably better than Ireland um, emphatically better than Ireland in that quarterfinal so I think there is a danger in being too reactive and saying oh well we have to duplicate England I think yeah. the key for Ireland is to find a method that works for them yeah. and You know, I'm sure people are sick of hearing about (laughs) theories on Ireland, but a huge part of it has to be the mental um, application as well of how they can get over a quarterfinal. You know, you use the Mm -hmm. All Blacks as the example. You know, the All Blacks became what they became in 2015 because they didn't have the mental baggage of winning a world cup having not won since 1987 until 2011 2011 had a great team but they weren't impressive in the final they won the final in spite of themselves and you almost get the impression that ireland needs a quarter final like that where they do their best but still manage to win
1: well look that's that's it for the world cup chat for this week we'll be back with you next week obviously to look back at the world cup final but before you go the show goes on. Rory Best has retired, but he's going to play again in November. Yeah,
0: um, turn out for the Barbas—it's uh, it's a nice way from the finish, I suppose. As a, you know, we've heard we've heard a lot about uh, how good a tourist Rory Best will be on you know midweek Lions teams and stuff. So I'm sure he'll uh, he very much enjoy the traditions of a of a Barbas game. Mm-hmm. Um, It's an interesting interesting timing Obviously because I think That that game pretty much overlaps With Ulster against Bath
1: Yeah so it's it's Saturday um, the 16th of November Bath against Ulster starts at 1 And then this game Baba's against Fiji at Twickenham Is at 2.30 so yeah it's going to kick off Basically before Ulster's game's over Bizarre Yeah so you know
0: If you ever needed a nice analogy For um, Ulster moving on in the post royal event worries. They'll
1: turn out <laughs> to the bottles while well they're playing uh turn their champions couple. Yeah, very true. Very poetic in a way. <laughs> <laughs> that's as good a place as any to leave it. So thank you very much for joining us as always, John. Uh we will chat to you after the World Cup final. Yeah, that's Enjoy. That's
0: You've been listening to the Ulster Rugby Roundup's World Cup Special, brought to you in association with Wimus Urum, Victoria Square Belfast and Stockists Nationwide.